Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, business editor for Variety. Today, my guest in Los Angeles is Chris Abrego, CEO of Endemol Shine North America and chairman of Endemol Shine Americas. Chris oversees the company's busy U.S. arm that is based in Los Angeles and home to such series as Big Brother, Master Chef, Deal or No Deal, and The Biggest Loser, just to name a few. A few years ago, Chris realized there was a burgeoning opportunity to sell shows in Mexico. That set him on a path to change the purview of his programming team to incorporate Spanish-language content development right alongside their work on English-language projects. Many staffers even took Spanish classes to get up to speed. In our interview, Abrego discusses his background as a producer, Endemol Shine bought his 51 Minds production banner in 2008, and how that background has helped him manage through peak TV times. One topic Chris was not able to address at the time we spoke was the acquisition of Endemol Shine by France's Banaget Group, as that deal has not formally closed. But he has a lot of interesting things to say about the way to think about a truly global television economy. Take a listen. You have approached the Spanish language and the Latin American market in a different way than other U.S.-based majors in terms of integrating it into into all of your business and just looking at it as one content business, one development business. Let's talk, though, about the origins of Endemol Shine Boomdog and how how it was that you came to have such a big operation down in yeah, Mexico. No, you're absolutely correct, and, and thank you for acknowledging that. And it's probably for a couple of reasons that we've I've looked at it different. Uh, and the first, probably because it comes from a self-interest and a personal kind of uh, passion to want to be in that space. And obviously being Latino and growing up in a bilingual household and being first generation, my parents are from Mexico, and so growing up in a household where I actually, you know, lived the experience of seeing being in one room, depending on who I was spending time with at the time in the house. If I was spending time watching television with my dad, we were watching uh, U.S. You know, television, The Fall Guy, Hill Street Blues, uh, <laughs> Different Strokes, whatever it might be. That's incredible. All these great shows. Lee Majors <laughs> speaks the universal language. A uh, six million dollar, of course. Um, and then, of course, spending time with my mom, who in, in, in the room would have on uh, a Spanish television. It would be all the traditional novelas who would be on. Um, so it was something that was very organic to me. Um, and when I in, took this role um, it, 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 as a CEO of Endemol, um, and then soon Endemol Shine, it was something that was a priority to me you know, six years ago, was to figure out how to do content in Spanish. But I just didn't want to just jump into it. We really wanted to look at the landscape and knowing of what things were happening and where things were headed. And so really with, with myself and Ben Samick and Paul Jennings, we really wanted to look at it and see how we would take the approach uh, and look at how other companies, as you mentioned, had how they had taken an approach to being in Latin America, specifically Mexico. And we realized that things were changing. You know, the streaming business was obviously taking off and, and the direct-to-consumer was, was getting was something that was becoming more of a, a OTT, a VOD. All these things were becoming really important. Therefore, really seeing that the premium content was key. So we knew how to take a different approach in that sense. And so one of the things we did was, after getting to know all the players in Mexico and visiting with uh, networks and distribution platforms, we, knew, we really started to see that if we were going to do this, 
The one way to do it was to truly treat it exactly how we were doing our business here in North America, which was premium content and find the best people. And so we went, we sought out to do that. And the person we kind of first came across was a guy named Alejandro Rincon, Mm -hmm. who was running Boondog. Mm -hmm. And that was the kind of genesis of meeting him in Mexico City. And Boomdog was an existing production company that had was starting yeah. to get real traction with some very interesting shows. Correct. So Alejandro had um, a small, real small business um, based in Mexico City. Um, and he was already, the thing that kind of flagged us to him was he was doing already a lot of U.S. formats. So he was doing Ease Fashion Emergency, mm-hmm. but in Spanish. You know, he was had uh, uh, Chumel, which is a comedian. Basically, it's a Mexican John Oliver for HBO. Right. HBO um, has yeah. talked about that show being yeah. a real, a real a really bellwether for them about what is possible Correct. in other markets. Yeah. And so Alejandro already had this kind of gnat for premium storytelling and production value. Um, and so one of the things we, we started to do was figure out to work together on a show-by-show uh, show basis. And we, one of the first things we really did was big was we did uh, Gran Hermano, Big Brother for Telemundo. Mm-hmm. And obviously Big Brother is one of our flagship brands for the group, made in over, you know, 25 countries, uh, 20 years in the making. So it, it came with a lot of prestige, but in handing it to Alejandro, he made, he did exactly what all the other territories have done in making this really high-end premium content. He built the entire Big Brother house on the soundstage where they were living, or where they, the production offices were. And a lot of the equipment came from the U.S., and we did it live from Mexico into the U.S., and it was just a huge success, and it was a really good experience. But more so for me, I got to, it, it showed me the level of production value mm-hmm. and producing skill set that Alejandro and his team had. Mm-hmm. And that was, and that led to you acquiring Boomdog. Correct. Is that correct? So that, yeah. so we, we, that really gave us the confidence to look at it. By the way, as the environment and the market was shifting. And these and and you saw Netflix starting to spend some time down there and other streamers and the audience because the audience has always been there in that market. It's not that it's, it hasn't existed, but the their real appetite for premium and contemporary storylines was really starting to, to show itself, and it wasn't being serviced. And but so we knew that we really wanted to make that investment. So that's how we did when we acquired a Boomdog. And really solidified our, our partnership, which is now in, I think, over three years. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because your approach really kind of demonstrated that, you know, if you are producing Spanish language content, you can you can license it in the U.S. to Spanish language outlets. You can license it around Latin America. You can develop a format in Mexico or in a Latin American country Correct. that can... You know, the finished episodes can travel, the format rights can travel. It, it really is kind of an an awareness, an awakening, as we've seen in a lot of in a lot of the international business, that it really is a global television business and that there is that there is such a big market outside the U.S. I think we've you know, for years, this this business has been very ethnocentric, very U.S. centric. And it's we're going to make it and we'll export it to the world. And that that is just not the case anymore. It is absolutely not the case. And by the way, look, I, I say I miss the good old days. And I'm talking about, you know, eight years ago um, <laughs> when you really people weren't because this market, this U.S. market was so huge that you're right. A lot of people didn't care about the global. But there's complete other businesses and departments within companies that handled international business for these companies. It wasn't like the people, the executives I was pitching here in the U.S. never got stuck on the international rights or international positions or thought creatively, but it was something that I started to realize early on because 
we had the unique opportunity to own the surreal life. And when somebody approached us about selling it internationally, they would tell us, hey, you know what, man? If you guys could cast somebody from Europe, it really would help us sell it internationally. And we're like, what? And that's how, like, Brigitte Nielsen got on the show. And, and others, every year we try to put one, somebody from Europe on the cast so that, because we started to understand that it would help sell it in other markets. Right. And so I really started to get this this knowledge of, like, not only you could just create and sell a show here in the U.S., but then how to create it having value globally. Mm-hmm. And, but really, and then the mall was already doing that, and so was Shine. Mm-hmm. Was there at all a learning curve for for your team in terms of doing business in, in Mexico? Because I know you produce a fair amount of shows in Mexico for Mexican broadcasters. Right. Were there traditions or or business business approaches, business templates that were that were di- that are different in Mexico? Was there any kind of you know, adjustment for to do that. It, it, it was a lot of a, it was a, a big learning curve on, on both in both sides. Meaning, working in Mexico for us and understanding this process and its budgeting, because a lot of these uh, uh, free TV these broadcasters really had you know sizable monopolies, if you if you will, in that ter- in that territory in Mexico. So, like a Televisa, who has literally a school for young uh, uh, people for actors. Then to become actors on their TV shows, to become <laughs> deals, they get locked up, and everything gets created and made. I mean, they three sixty the entire business around a huge wall. Like it was so self-contained, they really didn't need outside production companies. It's the old studio it, it's the old system, stu- you know. It literally was the old studio system. If you think in the old days when when talent had contracts with with Paramounts and so forth, and MGM is very much so. But this kind of disruption from streamers and direct to consumers really started to bust that up. So for us, it was hard to find people, right, with Alejandro, because with with this amount of demand, also kind of really strained on the resources for mm-hmm. finding people. So, and then of course the budgets. You know, the budgets for local in Mexico were, were, I mean, for us working in the U.S. were massively different. Sure. I mean, just inc- like shockingly different to us. I mean, just the economic basis. Correct. It, it makes sense, but but it's still an ad- an adjustment. Correct. And so we were we were doing. What were things? Certain certain things were costing an episode here in the U.S. Uh, for a big format. Were entire season budgets in Mexico, so we, so that you know, getting some used to and understanding that a little bit, and then of course coming this way, kind of best practices because it, what's interesting is as these companies are now these global, um, you know, media companies which didn't really exist before, but they're U.S. based, uh, and so they have a certain level of expectation of U.S. practices and premium, right. You know, when, in working from Endemol, as, which is a global company, Endemol Shine, you even looking at development in other territories, you have to be mindful and have an eye and be, uh, be open minded because it's going to look, you know, the, because of the budget restrictions and so forth. Right. So I remember sometimes taking things from Mexico to some of these guys, and they're like, whoa, that looks horrible. <laughs> that looks like shit. <laughs> You're like, well, no, imagine it with money, though. Imagine if we're going to scale it up and then we're going to do this and do that and do X, Y, and Z. So they could really get behind it because they were, you know, I think the the U.S. companies who were working in Latin America also had a learning curve to adjust to in terms of understanding what that market really looked like. Mm-hmm. And and then, but for you and your and for the company that is, you know, for for your end of Endemolshine, which is a big company, but your end of it is based in Los Angeles. Instead of in in many other large media companies, you'd have 
a division that is focused on international productions right. or co-productions. But what you guys did differently was just integrate. Spanish language was just one aspect of the many types of programming that your team, your core team, was working on. A absolutely. We One thing we really did was to work much like we did with even our subsidiaries here in the U.S. We really kind of had a flow through um, in terms of how we operated. So with Truly Original or 51 Minds or Authentic, you know, we brought them the formats that we had from us that if we weren't going to work on them, it didn't make sense for North America. We would then funnel them to these guys, especially if it made sense in their specific relationships with buyers. We thought if that strategy is working so well and truly regional is having so much success and 51 Minds is having so much success, why wouldn't we apply that? Just because it's another country doesn't mean we have to treat it different. And it, and it seemed simple enough, but everyone you talk to, they want to treat it. The minute you say Mexico, they think different department. Different mm -hmm. group, different mm -hmm. part of the company, mm -hmm. and it was hard to fight that, and even internally. But we we worked hard to integrate it and make it just part of our business so much that when we closed the deal with Boondog, uh, two things happened: we took the entire senior staff here to Mexico City for a week <laughs> uh -huh. and, and integrated the companies, and so they met their their kind of their parents and their other people who shared similar responsibilities, and we shared best practices. And then two, the here at Animal Shine uh, in, North, in North Hollywood, they start taking Spanish classes. <laughs> so everyone, so you can check now. There's a lot of Spanish speakers in this uh, company now. You know, think about our in, in our business affairs. So we've brought in you know people who obviously are bilingual and in, in, for both contracts and working with legal people in Mexico. We don't. We obviously recognize that it's two different countries, and there's certain laws and, and certain practices right. that we have to adhere to. Uh, in which we want to be aware of. But when you get below that, in terms of creative process, in terms of pitching, uh, characters, casting, finding the best producer, the, you know, because for us, the one thing that w I think that we do really well at Emotion Shine is we stay focused on, we know that the most important thing is who's making the show. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to who's selling it. It's one thing to who created it. But it really, we focus on who's making it. Undoubtedly, that comes from your background as a Correct. producer in the trenches Correct. with, you know, uh, sleeves rolled up, Absolutely. making the show. Yeah, it, it really, it's like who's going to be on set and delivering the story and these characters and driving this narrative or this competition, whatever the, the show might be about. And that's what we're focused on. And that's actually becoming our biggest challenge in these in these other territories, including Brazil, is is uh, finding a more of those people who can do that premium content. But that being said, is why like people like Alejandro, who is one of the top guys, also gives confidence to to really invest and, and build a business in that territory. Yeah, it's clear that you you found the person that you Correct. felt that you felt comfortable par um, partnering with, and I can only imagine that you know having that that real footprint there can only be for your talent scouting. In terms of you know you never know when the next great idea or the next personality who's going to break out you know to have boots on the ground there. Yep. No, so much that I think uh, I'm going to start charging Netflix for uh, uh, recruitment positions uh, <laughs> <laughs> as they continue to try to hire from our company. They've been paying attention, uh, it yeah, sounds like. Yeah, very much so. And there, I mean, you know, you, you got to give Netflix credit for really, I think that they have gone a long way to, to opening people's eyes to the potential of, you know, there can be great, great shows that come from, you know, come from all over the all yeah. over the place. It's not just a U.S. and Western Europe and U U.K. business. I think look, that's the exciting part. And you go down there when you're in Mexico City and you're meeting with the different you know people, the producers, directors, writers, other executives. It, it's just such an exciting time because 
they've always been there. I mean, look at the the last you know three four years in the Oscars. Mexican directors mm-hmm. have won you mm-hmm. know the Oscar for the future. The talent has been down there. It just has not been tapped in the sense of this need. And so it's exciting now to be given this opportunity. And, and you're right. Look, it, it's the fact that we were there four years ago building this foundation, mm-hmm. building this team, mm-hmm. building, you know, Boondog. We have this incredible mm-hmm. studios. I mean, it's like a mini uh, Paramount. We have all we're missing is some golf carts <laughs> down there. <laughs> and but do we you have, have, we have sound considerable stages. facilities? Oh, yeah, we have post-production facilities uh, in, in a town called Santa Fe, um, just outside of Mexico City. Mm-hmm. We have a full-blown post-production facility, production offices. We have four sound stages that are massive. We we do Master Chef, you know mm-hmm. what I'm. We do. Uh, we did Big Brother. We built a house, a Big Brother house that's on the property. Uh, craft service, you know, um, it's a full-blown little uh, uh, studio and sound stages, really set up for production. And and so the fact that we spent the last four years building that, it was great to see it pay off with. Netflix and soon, you know, Apple Plus and Amazon and Hulu mm-hmm. and everyone else seems will, will be arriving soon. But you look at Netflix, who is what committed two hundred million dollars into Mexico, and you know, I think they announced they're doing fifty projects in, in the next you know couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, we're we're excited and lucky to be a part of all that. That's got to help spark, as you said, uh, it's got to just help spark an, a real infrastructure and a. Almost a you know a path for people to pitch shows in a more in a more what we would call traditional more U.S. style for a country that had largely been dominated by state-owned broadcasters. That, as you said, they produced all their stuff in house. Right. There wasn't there wasn't much avenue for a producer to say, "I've got a great idea for a yep. show." And now, as I understand, that's changing. It has changed a lot, and and to that point, I think the free TV, as they call it, you know, they say with broadcasters. In Mexico, have really obviously much like here, and not, not too different, have been disrupted by these streamers. Um, so therefore, they've had to change a little bit of their right. development process and who they're working with. And so it's created even more opportunities for producers, you know, and, and creators and makers, which is exciting. Um, and so we have this incredible relationship with Televisa t- today that we, I don't think we've had in the past before as a company. Uh, we just did a mass singer for them. Oh, right. Uh, and it uh-huh. was a huge hit in Mexico. It did not disappoint. This is the highest rated show in Mexico in the last 10 years. We do Mira Cambaila for, for Univision. Uh-huh. Um, and it's hugely successful. Um, and so it's really, you know, because it's become competitive. But I think because the people are really now really trying to give the audience what they want, um, it's become exciting for us and, and, and for, for makers and, and especially for, for Boomdog um, to be part of that. And interesting, too, I, I would imagine that your Spanish language content does travel even outside of Spanish-speaking markets. A- absolutely. You, that you're able to license th- yeah. th- your finished episodes and your formats in uh, in other markets. And I know Endemol Shine is one of the best positioned companies to sell, you know, to get product into Germany and to get, you know, yeah. to all around the world. You have many tentacles. No, we, we look. That one of the things that Endemol Shine does really well, and I, I – I don't say just because I'm part of that company, the group, <laughs> but I really have come to coming into this role. I mean, coming from 51 Minds and then into the role of the international part of the company, and seeing how one of the strengths of of the group is to create formats that with these tent poles that travel, right, right. right. So, like you think of Master Chef, and it has the tent poles of the the setting and the beginning, middle, end, but the the casting and the food become local. Right, mm-hmm. so it become a real smart way of doing that. Yeah, you look at Big Brother, which is of course the house and the fly on the wall and all that sort of technique, 
but then the casting makes it local. And and even some things are different. We have done that exactly with Boomdog in, in sharing those best practices with them. And therefore, Alejandro and his team are creating formats that, yeah, you're absolutely right, that are traveling. And as of late, we've been really connecting, you know, Alejandro and Boomdog with our team in Spain. So, you mm-hmm. know, you, you think of Spanish as the, I think it's the number three language in the world. Um, and you could see that's to men. But I also think that if you look at uh, just, I think, the global audience today, proven by theories like Narcos, and I just saw, what did I say, um, with Aquafina, uh, a Chinese uh, um, foreign film. It just doesn't, I don't think it matters so much anymore. Yeah. If it's good, it's good. And, and you have to read a few subtitles, it doesn't make a difference. You look at Money Heist, you know. Right. It's, you know, a huge hit from Spain. Uh, people, you know, we do Dark, uh, Animal Shine in Germany, and it's a huge hit here, and it's a show in German. Yeah, pe- people will watch if it's compelling. You will, you know, it, I, there was so, such a fear of subtitles, but there was a, you know, there were a couple yep. of shows. HBO's had my brilliant friend. You know, Americans can read <laughs> subtitles and will <laughs> Americans and, can read and will, exactly yeah. and, and will be compelled if the content is there. And I think that this audience now really appreciates the authenticity of a project, and that's one of the things that you know we really why having this kind of bicultural, you know, kind of by market kind of situation that we have is really working for us because having that authenticity to the story is really important, right? And so having a mix of people who who really know how to cast a show mm-hmm. that feels local, right? Uh, that feels like the stories are, 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 are relatable because they're local stories to that territory is just really critically important. And that's why it's important to have, you know, one of the things we're doing too is really unique is we are pulling in a lot of, you know, people who have worked in general market who are bilingual, like Marie Liguizamo, right. uh, who we have a deal with, uh, who is an incredibly strong producer, then The Voice, you know, for, for Telemundo, and now she does LOL for Amazon, but completely bilingual, um, works in the U.S. and works in, in Latin America. And so we're, we're pulling more of those kind of uh, uh, people together so they can really share best practices. And that really shows on screen what the end result of the project. And again, I just can imagine that the amount of, you know, the, the recent investment and activity and opportunity is just going to is just going to make that marketplace, you know, be even more vibrant. It, it is. And, and I think it's again, I think it, it really and you I'm, I'm, it's it's really shocking because it seems like a simple idea to act as one company, regardless of the language. But you, it's really surprising to a lot of people that we behave that way. But I'm seeing it more and more now. You know, like, you know, um, Alejandro just made a deal with Gaston Palovich, who is the producer of The Irishman, who's of Mexican a native in Mexico City. Um, and so that's a deal that was made in Mexico for Spanish series. But obviously, Gaston has had a lot of success in, with the U.S. market. You know, he also did... The Madman and, and the Professor, and many in Silence, and many other features in the U.S. So now, you know, you see a, a, a you know, just last uh, week where Alejandro will connect Gaston with Sharon Levy, who in our office here in the U.S., who's doing, you know, uh, a Utopia for Amazon and other stuff. And now they're working on a project together. It's really become just kind of one world in the sense where these, it's not just the company behaving as, as one, but other producers are working in multiple markets now. 
Do you feel like your some of your role as CEO is really casting, you know, putting the not just casting of shows, but putting the right people together? This producer might might connect with this executive. Is that is that? It seems like that I, would be a bigger part of the job now. I think it, it is. And look, always for me, it was very different because I didn't have any corporate training, <laughs> and I always like to say I never had a real job as a producer. But I I still take the very much the producer approach as the CEO of this company, meaning through through is finding the best people and building teams. Let me ask you just because. I know, again, one of the things that Boomdog has brought to you is is this, just an influx of great talent and, and ideas. Talent is the, the single like most precious commodity in yeah. Hollywood in the creative community these days. How, in the, in the bigger picture, is Endemol Shine dealing with the arms race for content, the, the, you know, the really rising costs of talent? You know, you're, you're in a kind of an interesting position. You're not a small indie, but you're not one of the big majors either. Has this been a difficult time, just, just given the kind of just the way the economics of the business have shot up in every direction, you know, everything from the cost of renting a boom mic to the cost of doing a deal with a named star has just gone up so exponentially. How are you managing that as a business? It has become increasingly difficult. I think if you look at margins today compared to what they were just four years ago, it's they're nowhere near the, the, the same, and it has become really difficult and to your point, the cost, the rising cost of talent. Um, the the truth is the extent of production and making these, some of these series, the larger formats, specifically here in the U.S., has been, has been the same. But I think when you look at the what the broadcasters are are looking to spend now, because when you look at what the ratings are compared to what they were six years ago, right? And you're looking at the price. They, it was something that you didn't really see before when you would go to a pitch. And you would just pitch the creative, and if they either liked it or didn't like it. Now it's how much does it cost? And to the point where I've been in some rooms where a buyer has broken out a calculator to see if his budget costs this and gets this rating, what does it make? Um, and so it has become increasingly difficult. But look, that's our job as producers and creators to really figure out ideas that are still fun and, and, and loud and can be done at a price point that makes sense. Uh, and I think, you know, interestingly enough, sharing best practices, we learn a lot actually from the guys in Mexico and Brazil because some of the things they pull off at certain price points, right. it shows you that we know it, that where we should be focusing on spending some of this money versus what, some of the things we're doing, you know, in the U.S. that aren't as efficient. And you could also look in Brazil where these guys are doing massive brand-driven uh, programming, which we're not having success with in the U.S., what these guys are doing so there's we're really it kind of we in in the same way that we share best practices best practices with them we're looking at those two territories and learning a lot also mm-hmm. money is not always the solution to to every single problem <laughs> that is true. yeah um you know you you mentioned your background coming as a producer how was it for you it's going on six, six years. years now since you were since you were named as first co-ceo and, then, and now ceo solo how was it for you? Was it a learning curve for you to become a manager of? You'd obviously manage shows and productions, but to be to manage people at a at a CEO level for a company of this size, was it a learning curve? It, it absolutely was, and it was very it was an absolutely different experience to the extent that running a show and running a business are two very different things. Um, the, the, fortunately for me, I ran the business at Fifty One Minds too, but not at the scale that was Endemol at the time, and then becoming Endemol Shine. Right. So to think to go from a company of Fifty One Minds of 
40, you know, 40, 50 people to, you know, over 400 people. Right. Yeah, it, the management had to become something that I had to really focus on. And it was difficult at first, you know, the, the, but I quickly realized that no matter the size and scale of the company, the two things were exactly the same. That it ran on the same gas, meaning ideas. Yeah. Right? Like either company, they needed, we needed ideas and we needed to sell shows. And, and two, it was still really came down to uh, who was making these projects. And that was execution. Key. Execution. Two things I was good at selling and execution. So it became about me focusing on that, finding those best people for that. I will tell you, it was difficult because I wanted to make these shows. <laughs> you <laughs> so, wanted to get in there. So, so after, you know, in, in the first year of selling a couple of things and then not being able to to make them because you see the scope of this business was 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 hard and then I, i'll never forget the, the moment that it really hit me in the face was <laughs> when i went to uh big, set up big brother and i met everyone and it was in production and they said okay we got a chair for you and it was in the back corner of the control room <laughs> and i was like i know that chair i sent every executive when i was making shows to that chair and there i was in the back corner <laughs> sitting watching and it was one of the first times i was like oh man you're not making these shows um, but it was also one of the first times where I really, you know, every time I go there, I, I, I miss it uh-huh. uh, and making, you mm-hmm. know, actually watching Allison and Rich just, you know, create story and, and track. It was, uh, it, was it made me want to jump out the seat, but I stayed in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> and, and undoubtedly, you know, your experience in one area informs the other, clearly. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and I think and it's it's been helpful. It's been good. And look, I don't, by that, to that point, I don't, you know, look, MasterChef is something it's this incredible show that I can't take any credit for. But in, in, when, you know, we, we got together, we merged with Shine, and I was a fan of the show and, as a viewer, but then to become a part of it, I, I immediately re- knew that my role was to support it and to grow it and to, um, you know, the people who were making it, um, same like Allison and Rich and, and Big Brother, look, these guys have been, they're the best at what they do. And so my role was to get to know Gordon and to build a relationship with him and understand what his needs were and how we could grow and shake up the show every year. And what I could do from my seat, you know, in terms of finding him the best people, finding the idea guys, finding money to, to, to mix it up. Mm-hmm. I, qu- I knew, you know, quickly that was my role in this in, in, in these shows. So it still has a bit of a producer kind of approach to it and strategy. Um, but look, I think I, I can't, we, I've been so fortunate to have to work with so many great producers and watching them work has been amazing. Um, and the, you see why some of these shows are still on the air, you know, 15 years later. Right. Uh, I want to compliment you, Chris. A couple of years ago, you put out a terrific book called Make It Reality. And you shared your story of how you came from a from a very different background than most people in Hollywood. You you How the door opened to you to the idea that producing could be a, could be a career, that working in television yep. was an option for you. I thought you, you articulated it beautifully in the book and really presented your story as almost a how-to guide. <laughs> Not that somebody was going to take your exact process, but just the awareness to, to being open to that one door that yep. the, you know, you were in high school and you just, the the one class or the That's one it. pitch of here's an opportunity that you, that you took and had you not, had you missed class that day or something, you know, <laughs> just the, the. Not knowing about the opportunity. Yeah. It's, it, no, well, thank you for saying that. And, you know, I, I was very hesitant to to go down that road and write a book because I felt it was a little too like you know elitist or too young, but you know yesterday I just had lunch with uh, we we run a, uh, I run this diversity uh, program scholar uh, internship program with the academy, 
and he was one of the candidates. Not he didn't intern here, but he was, I met him through the academy, and he read the book, and it it prompted him to apply to the internship to come into the business. And you hear those corny lines all the time. Anybody says, "If I could change one life," yeah. and I and I really and I thank them for for you know connecting with me, reaching out because I wasn't like was really hesitant to read to to write that book, but I listening to him tell that story that that someone who looked like him who came from a town like him who had a situation like his had success in a business that no one even had ever thought to explore because it's not there's no guarantees in this business and and look this is for all parents no parent wants to hear hear their kid is after going to a very expensive college is going to work in a mail room or or become a producer it's the last thing they want to make sure you know especially in the latino family they want to make sure you have a good job and insurance. Right. That's it. That's it. <laughs> but to hear from him, it really, you know, and I and I get at least one or two of those a year since I put the book out. And so I, it's made me feel better about it. And it's something that's important to me. I think you look in this company uh, now, even in, 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 if you walked around on the floor here or any of one of our companies, you would just see a lot of people, very, very diverse group. And it's been, it's been, it's not just because it's the right thing to do by any means. It has really brought us a lot of business, and it's been we've been really successful because we keep a very diverse group of people working here. Oh, there is no, there is absolutely no question that that it, if you want to program for America or the Americas, you sure. have to look like them. That's true. Absolutely, you're right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for taking taking the time and sharing your thoughts. And I really um, have, as I said, I've been very intrigued by Endemolshine Boomdog, and I'm so glad to, to hear the whole backstory. Well, the next time I would love to take you down to Mexico City and show it to you. I'm game. <laughs> I'm game. Thank you so much, Chris. You're Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business.